بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and many more and many more Kathira and Kathira so we're continuing with our exploration of Surah An-Nisa hopefully we'll have a little bit more conversation today than the, the tremendous amount of silence we had yesterday but hopefully I can hope, I can dream. Uh, but at least Ulfan has her screen on. So, mashallah for that. Okay. So, and Ahant too. Mashallah. We get to see Ahant's beautiful smile. Mashallah. Uh, I have a student who, who visits me uh, in conversations similar to what you used to originally visit me on. And he reminds me very, very much of you in all kinds of different ways. Good ways, mashallah. Oh, really? Good, good. Oh, and Sabrina has returned. Okay, mashallah. And Jewel and Karina are here. Oh, and Malahat and everybody. All righty. So first, any questions about anything at all from our recent discussions? Nothing. All right. Then let us get back to the screen. Wait, I do have a question. Yes. Are you going to redo this class? Because I'm going to need about like two or three more times of this to... What if you just like just keep reading the Quran? Or to sink in, or just redo the class. Okay, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> or you just listen to the recordings, you know. Over we'll say, we'll say inshallah. inshallah. Sorry. I said over and over. I've been trying, but it's really hard when it's just like an audio and you don't Yeah, see it's very boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine what it's like when I'm looking at a bunch of rectangles of people's names. And yeah. no screens, I know. That's why I yeah. started turning my camera on. But it's pretty chaotic here. I appreciate so. your generosity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, okay. So, any other questions about anything else? Nothing. All right. So, I just like saying nothing. And back to the screen. Once again, let me know you can see the screen. Some sort of gesture. Yeah. All righty. Very good. So the, where we left off, the overall uh, discussion yesterday was about two issues. Number one, number one, that can I truly internalize that the overall thrust of the Sharia is to make my life easier, right? The point we were making is that Allah intends yuridullahu an yuhaffifa ankum. So Allah intends to lighten for you, essentially, your burdens. In what context? In terms of all these rules that he's giving. The rules, I think, take more effort than the concept. That the con the rules were basically about, you know, the specifics of whom you cannot marry. And what is this also doing? This is beginning to lay a foundation for a culture, and that's what a point we'll talk about in a second. The second point, of course, is just the sense of service towards others. What are we talking about? And I went on my usual rant about about hunger in Chicago. That we should hunger should not be a thing in Chicago with the size and skills of our Muslim population. And I'm just using Chicago as my example because I've been here for nearly every second of my life. Okay, so so the was concept there a class yesterday? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry there was. You know, there, uh, uh, I said on Wednesday there is a class. 
I forgot to tell everyone the class is not canceled. Uh, and then I didn't even realize on my my calendar it was also not listed. And because because uh, 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 my class here because it's a um, Catholic school, all the classes are canceled for Easter, and and so we had class. But oh, this makes sense. I was very confused. Oh, so you just missed more of my babbling. Yeah, nothing big. Nothing big. Shalom. All righty. So so um, the the point uh, uh, the the last thing I was mentioning, but the point I want you all to consider. We've introduced this before, but <clears throat> I'm giving you a couple of universes. We have law. Oops, wrong screen. Rolling up. Oh, I should probably make this smaller. Sorry, one second. So we have a couple of universes. We have law, we have justice. And now I'm adding another one culture or custom. Okay. And a point I made before is law and justice are not the same thing in the Islamic paradigm, but even in modern law, not the same thing. Law may be in the context of crime and punishment might give some amount of justice might give some amount of fairness. But law and justice are two different things. Uh, if I don't have justice in my focus, in my mind, then I will probably use law to exploit. That if I don't have fairness, and then on top of that, accountability before Allah. Then, and then law can easily be a tool where you can make something completely sound legally, and it is exploitation. Good. This is a hard thing for a lot of people to to appreciate. We've made this point before that if I just implement an ayah from Allah, it does not mean that is going to be healthy. That if I implement an ayah from Allah, it could be destruction. It could be destruction physically. It could be destruction mentally. It could be destruction to the deen of a person. And and so, you know, uh, I always, you know, give convert stories, including Ahad and, and others and such. But so I had a student who visited last week who, and I may have mentioned him in the class, who, uh, just became Muslim at the beginning of Ramadan. And whoever advised him made him start fasting and praying Tarawih. And so then I chat with him, chat, uh, sat with him. He said he needs some help. And so I gave him the same advice that uh, uh, I give to all converts. At this point, don't change anything. He said, okay. But I haven't heard back from him since. And um, it could be that, you know, he hasn't gotten to my emails, but a oh, cool hat, mashallah, yeah. And so uh, what could be happening 
is the person he's taking instruction from is telling him not to listen to me because I'm saying don't change anything. Very common issue. Or his Islam has already been broken. That, you know, uh, I mean, he just looked completely worn out. And this was at that point, I think, day three of fasting. Maybe day four. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday. And so, oh, that was this week. Ahant. Uh, do you think uh, this is the the reason why you know uh, you know uh, people of true uh, knowledge right when they're uh, trying to like you know implement things by a case by case uh, situation uh, taking into account the uh, the maqasid and the orf of the person the society is is why they are more lenient of than, course than people who are not as knowledgeable this is literally the common problem. <clears throat> That the self-taught often is reducing the rahmah of Allah in proportion to the lack of rahmah in their heart. And so a point you've all heard from me before is, number one, how I imagine, truly internally imagine Allah is going to affect how I look at life. If I truly imagine Allah pouring rahmah on me, I'm going to see life is full of rahmah. If I see Allah is abandoning me, I'm going to see life as empty. If I see Allah is punishing me, everything's going to be either a punishment or a soon nearby punishment. Second, how I imagine Islam is going to infect how I practice Islam, and it's going to almost guarantee how much my grandchild affects uh, of views Islam in the sense that my child sees how I'm, my child's going to internalize how I'm practicing Islam, how I view Islam, even if I'm not teaching them that way, and then their grandchild is going to do the same thing. With the difference being in a society like this one, that my grandchild may not feel compelled to remain Muslim if deep down inside I actually fundamentally don't like Islam. And so related to that process, the entirety of the Islamic sciences, the intent is to fulfill, to articulate the Rahmah of Allah. That's literally the goal of the Islamic sciences. But to the point that the first hadith you learn in the madrasa, literally, is if you do not show rahmah, you will not be shown rahmah. Man la yarham, la yurham. And then continuing, give rahmah to the people in this world, and the one who is in heaven will give rahmah to you. That's the first hadith that you're taught. So. But often, when autodidacts, well-intentioned, are running Sunday schools, teaching Islam, uh, they're often uh, uh, becoming very strict about the Rahmah of Allah because they don't know how to interpret text. Simple, simple example of that is, uh, you know, in Ayah 2, Allah speaks to the children of Israel. And then, and... It's like either, I, uh, I think it's 49. Uh, ah, no. Uh, I have 48, and I that comes a couple times. Oh, children of Israel, 47, remember the favor I favored you with and how I preferred you above all creatures. Guard yourself against a day when, like a day when no one shall stand for anyone in anything, nor shall intercession be accepted on anyone's behalf. Yeah nor shall ransom be taken for them, neither shall uh, any be given support. If you read that on its own, 
without any training, it sounds like there's no shifa on the Day of Judgment. Therefore, every hadith that speaks about shifa, about intercession, the Prophet's intercession for the Ummah, the intercession of the Qur'an for those people who read it, the intercession of the Hufaz, the intercession, intercession of the Shuhada, so forth and so on, they'll say those hadith are all inauthentic because they cannot comprehend them. But the principle, and this you've all heard from me before when we were talking about the tafsir is Qur'an with Qur'an, right here, that you're looking at what everything else says, and because rahmah is the default, you're looking for the most rahmah interpretation. So one ayah says no intercession. Another ayah says no intercession except where Allah allows. And this is ayatul kursi. And so the point being that, yeah, intercession, Allah allows intercession. Then how do we reconcile this? Here they're being told you've been given everything of dunya. You're not going to be given anything of akhirah. You've been given everything of dunya without earning it. You're not going to be given anything of akhirah without earning it. So, yeah. So, uh, the point being that the end result is that a lot of people restrict the, the rahm of Allah. And then what often happens is that you have their kids who have equal lack of knowledge will then push back by just by saying everything is rahmah, we don't have to do anything. We have no responsibilities, we have no boundaries, no nothing, because Allah is so merciful. That's the other extreme. So, so even the rahmah is a, a balance between lack of rahmah and too much rahmah. Any other questions so far? Okay, so if I have justice in my heart, then that is going to direct my interpretation of law towards things that are healthy. If I don't have justice in my heart, if I have injustice in my heart, then the law becomes a very easy tool for me to exploit people with. And so then we have the issue of culture or custom, which is what we call urf. The word ma'ruf, same root word, that which is known, orf, literally is essentially that which is known, that which is familiar, custom. Now, <clears throat> we know that the Quran is preserved. Again, not the way people understand it to be preserved. The variant readings are also part of the preservation of the Quran. But sunnah is also preserved. And the easiest example of that is we have no central text on how to pray. And you go on Hajj, everybody prays the same way. Though the ibadahs are preserved. So that's different than, than the hadith. But <clears throat> you have this relationship between the law and culture. So we've spoken about the relationship between justice and the law that the law that Allah is prescribing is sort of giving major nudges to the culture. So think of a nudge as just a shift in the culture. What we're basically then saying is that when Allah, oops, wrong passage, when Allah is giving us these prescriptions, which for you and I are basically might seem like common sense about whom you can't marry what then forms in oops sorry 
what then forms in the culture is a whole vocabulary. So when we're speaking in Arab culture and Desi culture, for example, the ones that are most represented here, we start developing terminology. So we have, you know, Ammu, Khaltu, Khala, Chacha, Popo, so forth and so on. Informed by the law, and what's not stated is that this is setting up an established relationship. Okay. So the ayah is saying, okay, you can't marry those people. But the holistic vision that the ayah is creating is that it's influencing the vocabulary and the sentiments in the culture. Okay. So hopefully at a, uh, this is a, the concept is much simpler than the way to explain it. So when you have an aunt, uncle type figure, the thought doesn't even cross your mind that this is someone that I would want to marry. Okay. Now, how different is it if you don't call this person, you know, Ammu, Chacha, okay, uh, or Taya for some of you, uh, if you just call them by their name, then you've suddenly changed the relationship. And you may still think it's, you know, preposterous that, you know, why would I want to marry this person? But imagine a wider culture where that's how they regarded each other. Uh, then that which we're taking as absurd in the ayahs becomes much more plausible. So what I'm saying here is that the law informs the culture. The law informs the customs. And then the custom starts developing, the culture starts developing its own internal reinforcement of the law. And one way we have this, all these specific rules about marriage and whom you can't marry is in these cultures, in our cultures, we have titles for each of these relationships. And they become a level of formality. Different than the way you would talk about, talk to someone you can marry. So when the law breaks down, the culture will break down. And when the culture breaks down, everything else starts to break down. So I'm suggesting for you to consider is that the heart of the society is its orf. And the condition of the culture, that is the foundation of the society. Okay. Now, you might be thinking, well, where is religion in all this? Where is religion in all this? Dean is the whole picture. Modern religion, this is the Western modification, is to make religion its own category. And that is one of the ways humanity has been exploited, which we'll get to uh, in a bit. That when you make religion its own category, then what do we all start saying? Well, that's the culture, not religion. Whenever we disapprove of something. But how you practice the whole thing, 
That is religion. And by religion, the word I'm using is deen. And so, yeah, Ahant. Um, you have stated in your past chapter, like uh, letters, that a lot of well-intentioned, like Muslims are like, you know, when they disapprove of something, they they say, oh, you know, that's the culture and, you know, not the religion, et cetera. Yeah. But the picture you paint here is the 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 the, the things that they're that they're pointing to that they uh, they disapprove of is actually indication of the sad reality the sad reality of the religion of those people. Yes, I mean, well, well I'll make it nicer. I'll say <laughs> how you do things is an illustration of your religion, positive so, or negative. Yeah. So to then implement on or you know like then to like ask the question okay how do we change that do we go to the law first do we go to the order or do we go to the the yeah the law or the order because you said if the law determines the religion uh, informs the, informs culture yeah informs. The, yeah the law in, informs the culture and the the culture itself is showing bad signs of indication of the status of the dean, then do you go about like, changing things in the law first or in the culture? So what I'm effectively saying, this is a wonderful, profound question, is changing things in the law will have no influence on the culture. Mm. Right. Yeah. So you got to change because, things in the culture first, which, yes. which then causes the hearts of the people that make the law to change yes cause the hearts of people in general including those who make the law but the people who are living make uh to change so this is when we speak of the ayahs of mecca versus the ayahs of medina the ayahs of mecca are focused on the heart of the person the iman of the person law doesn't come in until medina right make sense hmm. so we got to convert politicians is what you're saying <laughs> I mean, sure, influencers, then we get into Abbas Awatullah. Uh, Ulfats. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I understood that part correctly. It could be my tired brain. But if we're could saying that... Tired self, yeah. Um, but if we're saying that the culture is a reflection of people's deen, then that makes deen subjective. So far, yes. Keep going. Why? Why subjective? Well, what if we change the word subjective to influenced? But there are parts. <laughs> I am going to say there are parts of cultures that are not good. And when when Islam entered into a country, it didn't try to uh -huh. like did get rid of the whole culture, but it tried to change things that weren't mm -hmm. okay. Um, yeah, now we're getting back into like some key terms here. All right. So what I'm asking you to consider that is, we'll use just me as an example. If you were to watch my whole day, you know, let's say from midnight to midnight and watch how I do everything, that is what my Islam is. Yeah. Does that make sense so far? 
yes, but then we're all striving to, well, hopefully striving to be better people. <laughs> sure, but let's say, you know, you look at how I conduct my day over the span of five years. And then relate to your point, there's some things that I've improved upon, right? Because of my aspirations to be a better person. Was it in this class where I asked the question, what is it? What is the definition of a good Muslim? Or was it the other class? It was in this yeah, class. We had right? that discussion, yep. Remember my definition, right? A good Muslim <laughs> is someone who's trying to be a better Muslim, okay? <laughs> and so let's say that's even my definition, but let's say over five years, nothing in the way I live my life, every inch of my life, nothing has changed. That is telling you what my, my Islam is. So forget. But it isn't what Islam is. Al-Islam is, is in the Quran. It's in the Sunnah. It's in the Hadith. It's in history. Sunni Islam, Shi'i Islam is an interpretation of that. But every one of us practices. I practice my Muzaffari Islam. You practice your, your Ulfati Islam. Or, uh, Ahan practices his Ahanti Islam. So forth and so on. Yeah. And in theory, this Muzaffari Islam is striving to fulfill Sunni Islam, which is striving to fulfill the Prophet, right? In theory. In practice, maybe, maybe not. And so culture or custom then becomes the collective Islam's of whatever your designated population is. So let's say, you know, the Muslims of Loyola, or let's say the Muslims of Rogers Park, which is where Loyola is in Chicago, or the Muslims of Chicago, and so forth and so on. And so it's all of our micro-Islams together of every inch of our lives, including what we do, what we don't do, what we focus on, what we don't focus on. And that is a more honest assessment <clears throat> than what we're doing, you know, in terms of like what's, uh, you know, what the eyes are giving. The eyes is Allah is telling us, here's what you need to, how you need to think, here's what you need to do. Uh, and then everything else is part of the holistic consequences. But what you will find if you look at me over the course of five years, 10 years, there'll be these things that have changed, hopefully for the better. And you're going to find all these things that I haven't changed at all. That I should be changing. And so, even though I would never say it, that is effectively my Islam. Here's the things to improve upon, here's the things not to care about. So, what if we don't use the word Islam? What if we change the word to lifestyle? So, that if you look at my life, all the choices that I make. Uh, and that's my lifestyle. Understood? I'm saying that's my Islam. That's the reality. And so if we look at the collective community in a particular environment, what they do on a regular basis, whether it's professional, whether it's what we would call religious, whether it's something we call cultural, dietary, what they do on a regular basis, that is their orf. And if we're talking about a population of Muslims, that's their deen. That's their Islam. 
Well, then now it feels like we're using them interchangeably rather than two different, because here you have Dean as like this whole big box. Yeah. And so what happens then is that culture is the bigger influence on my sense of law. Culture is the bigger influence on my sense of justice. So the law will affect culture, justice will affect culture, but effectively what I'm saying is that the foundation of my dean is how do I do things. So the whole picture is the dean. The difference is that culture is the action and the law and justice are my imagination. Make a little bit more sense? So, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. reflect on it a little bit probably and come up with more questions. Sounds good, inshallah. Uh, Khuram and then Ahant. Um, so I think uh, we might have already discussed in all these questions. Um, so I would like to add, uh, go back to justice and law and, and then in relation to secular society, right? Yes, sir. Because our societies are secular societies and, and the law more or less we are following the secular laws. Yeah. And in our day-to-day -day lives. So, uh, so there's, there's that reflection of uh, uh, in our customs of that as well as compared to our own practice of deen, that in the, in the capacity that is given to us or that is allowed to us that we practice. Uh, and, and it might be different than if, let's say, any Islamic country, which has a Sharia and everything, and their cultures and practices based on that in the holistic way, like they have the same sort of holidays or, or, or uh, available to them for the Eid, for example, for the Friday prayer and this and that. So that will change their sort of uh, cultural norms differently and their behavior might be different than the ones that we are right now here in the secular societies, right? Because you have to make really effort to, uh, for, for, for example, because you're working on Friday or it's just an example, right? So, yeah. um, so, so, so there's a struggle here. There's a struggle here between between implementing your, uh, between the following the dean as 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 then relative to the laws we are following, as based on the secular society, and that will have an effect on our our behavior as well, right? Maybe uh, our yeah, our behavior, and that may bleed into our culture or, or customs. Mm -hmm. So the question is? No, that's a comment. Okay, okay, fair enough. So what I would say <clears throat> essentially is yes. And then I would ask, I think we'd all agree, that the Quran, the Sunnah are speaking of every aspect of life. Yes, I think we'd all agree with that. And then there are aspects of my life, including the society that I'm in, that conform to what Islam is prescribing, even if my society is not uh, uh, officially an Islamic society. Yes, I think so. There's a lot of the American system that is very, very Islamic in terms of goals, aspirations, law, all those things. But then there are parts that are not and contradict. And will I be held to account for those things? in my own society. So before the question was, 
will I be held to account for the person who is stuck in, you know, forced labor to give me, for example, the cobalt for my phone, or the person who is in forced labor to, to put together the shirt that I'm wearing? Now I'm asking, am I going to be held to account for the operations of my society? And the easiest example of that, am I going to be held to account for hunger in my society? And what I'm suggesting is my personal orf includes the things that I focus on, the things that I don't focus on, the things that I do, the things that I don't do. But the things that I don't focus on, the things that I don't do, might because nobody else talks about them. But I might still be held to account before Allah. And thus, that is my version of my Islam. I'm using the provocative term by calling it my Islam. I mean it wholeheartedly. But to really, really make the point that we're saying that the deen, deen itself becoming the system of interaction is not speaking about how I pray and how much do I follow the letter of the Quran, which we've already established there's a lot that I don't follow. But my deen, my implementation of Islam in my head is probably higher than what I'm doing. Right, I'm I, in my imagination. I want to be up here. Uh, I'm actually down here, but my goal at some point is to be up here. But then, if you look at me 20 years ago, I'm still here, and I'm trying to get up here. The common thing, all right, you know, common thing for most people. Okay, do you wake up for fudger prayer? You know, on time. And someone who's not waking up for fudger prayer at age 30 probably is not waking up for fudger prayer at age 50. Yeah, and. What that is also saying, so, okay, so part one, I'm saying that how I live my life, that whole thing, that is deen. That is how my actions and my imagination are defining what Islam is. But that also might be giving an indication of how much I am expecting, hoping, but expecting for the rahmah of Allah. That if today I'm not waking up for Fajr prayer, I'm just using this as a hypothetical example. We can use bigger or smaller examples. Then I'm hoping, and I'm asking Allah for forgiveness, but let's say 20 years from now, I'm still not waking up for Fajr prayer. I'm still hoping, asking for Allah's forgiveness the same way I did 20 years ago. I'm basically with my actions saying either I'm not afraid of the punishment of Allah, Related meaning I'm not considering it real, or I am expecting, not hoping, expecting the rahmah of Allah. Kind of makes sense. Some of you look like you have frowns, so I think maybe it makes sense. Okay, so now what I'm saying is the reverse of what I've also been saying. Step one, how I think of Allah is going to imagine how I operate my life, how I navigate my life, how I understand my life. Step two. How I imagine the dean is going to affect how I practice the dean. And the built into the dean is how I imagine the prophet, peace be upon him, is going to affect how I practice the dean. Okay. And then and there's step three and four, the ummah and all those things. But now what I'm also asking you to consider is these things become habit in me. I have habits of thinking, habits of action which will then further reinforce how I think of Allah, 
will further reinforce how I think of the dean. And that is what I will be giving my child. Oh, I shouldn't be saying this with, you know, Ahant and Rossi, like literally, you know, perhaps hours away from, from family expansion, inshallah. inshallah. Everyone pray for them to have a very successful delivery, a very healthy baby, inshallah. Yeah. Kind of makes sense what I'm saying here. So when we look at these ayahs, the starting point where we were saying was that when Allah is giving us prescriptions, when we actually implement those prescriptions, there's cultural consequences. Like, for example, giving titles to all these people we can't marry. And that automatically creates a certain formal relationship in our mind. That it's not only that I cannot marry this person, I have to speak in a particular way to this person. My mother's sister, my mother's mother, my mother's, you know, so forth and so on. Yeah. So bring this back to the ayah on inheritance. Why was it so difficult for us to, to, uh, to comprehend what is effectively a very simple point? The simple point was that this is the last resort for what happens with your finances. But part of what all of us were immediately reflecting was we're seeing this as though it's creating a culture. The culture that most of us were seeing, many of us were seeing, was that men have a higher priority than women. Rather, what is the culture that this ayah is promoting? The ayah inheritance, what is it promoting? That we have to raise our men to be providers. Is that what the ayah is basically promoting? As opposed to issues of superiority, as opposed to everything else? That is my suggestion for you to consider. So the law is give, you know, give sadaqah all day long, every kind of every kind of way. You're raising your child with the best of what you can. You're raising your multiple children, splitting up your, your wealth. For them according to their need and probably some amount of how much love you have for this or that person but according to their needs so you might have an older son and a younger daughter and the daughter you give her more wealth the son you might give something else just because of that's what this son needs that's what this daughter needs but at the last resort this is how whatever you have left is going to be divvied up that's the basics of the law but what is the actual a uh, cultural push that the law is giving is that you have to raise your sons to be providers. This is not saying anything of the same in terms of how to raise the daughters. I mean, I mean, like I, you know, I'm coming from, you know, as a parent, it was already assumed all my kids, inshallah, would would have advanced degrees, and so my both of my daughters, it's already assumed in their heads they have to have advanced degrees, right? That to the point that, inshallah, they can be financially independent. Uh, had I had sons, I would especially be putting on them the role that they have to be providers. For example, if wife is pregnant. Uh, I don't know if your hand is raised from before or newly. No, I, I wanted to... Uh, to comment and sort of ask because uh, Olafat like mentioned the whole like subjectivity to all this. Yeah. If we if we from from one hand we 
want to apply the the law in terms of the the orphan the, the so the maqasid ha, you know has to be kept in mind but you know we wanted to apply it to the specific order of the society now if we look at society around us now obviously secularism and dunya dominate you know uh, as religion is packed into this sort of you know you refer to as religion as their own like it's like a, a methab of of capitalism and, and secularism um again you know where do we like draw the line because if we're applying the law to the way to to match the orf of our society if the if the, if if the orf of society is just so against the the civilizational values of islam mm -hmm. how do we go about reconciling the two so it's i don't say I don't, I don't know that it's a matter of reconciling the two and we might be using these words similarly or differently as much as all right if my values are in contra uh, contradict my local culture then i work to change my local culture the 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 textbook perfect example of that for example is look at the gay lobby this is a master class in social change you know, all the steps that were taken before the law getting implemented or a bigger master class which precedes the history of america is christian zionism you know, that people always point fingers at the jews you know about loyalty and all that stuff and there is a certain amount of unfairness in that it's the christian zionists who have dual loyalties both to the united states as well as to israel right uh that you'll find many jews that find what's happening in israel abhorrent and you'll find many christians that are giving uh uh far more christians giving israel a complete blank slate to the point that the entire focus of their political movement you know, is by hook or by crook, get Jesus to return, right? And and so a micro class is the gay lobby. A macro class is is the Christian Zionist lobby. That uh, that reminds me of um, um, of something a scholar said. I won't say his name because uh, he said yeah. something. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's controversial, but it's also the very profound. As speaking of how uh, the Orfer society views ourselves in this sort of inferiority complex, mm -hmm. he said that, you know, one thing uh, 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 us Muslims, uh, weirdly so, can take from the LGBTQ lobbies is, mm -hmm. is throughout the years, if you look at their stance for themselves, no matter what the consequences were, they didn't compromise on their, their, their principles. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't care about the, the consequences that would happen. So for example, in the, the corporate sphere or in the workplace, the LGBTQ community, they, they were very stern on what they believed in and they wouldn't uh, compromise on not being that or changing the way they expressed themselves. Um, and the, they just stood strong mm -hmm. no matter what like, happened uh, to them. Mm -hmm. So the scholar was saying, we can, you know, sort of take the usul of that stance and apply it to, uh, to our community, where mm -hmm. in the work sphere and the corporate sphere, or just in, you know, either the mainstream or in our day-to-day -day lives, we don't compromise and we don't adapt or change the way we practice deen to 
to fit the secular ideals, mm-hmm. we stand our ground and we don't care about the the consequences. So he's uh, like in that in, in that realm, we should lobby for ourselves the way the the LGBTQ community has mm-hmm. has lobbied for themselves, mm-hmm. even though like their stance, you know, you know, we believe is wrong. The yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, finish your point. Yeah, we can just uh, just take that approach. You know, I I don't know. You know so. So I'm going to slightly modify, but in general, in principle, agree with the overall thrust of what you're saying, mm-hmm. uh, that that part of the design of Sharia specifically, or I should say of fiqh, fiqh is the interpretation of Sharia, mm-hmm. is to figure out how you can practice your Islam in every environment, right? Uh, so uh, the point I'm making is that for someone of strong faith, you know, the message of I'll stand up no matter what the consequences are, yes. But that we can't expect the layperson to do. The layperson, that's too hard, right? Their concern is, okay, am I going to have food for my children? You know, am I going to have a good life, right? Whether they're of low low income, high income, uh, the layperson, spiritually layperson, you can't you know, give them that level of expectations. Make sense? Yeah. And so much of fatwa uh, is actually saying, here's what the law says, you know, what is an exception that I can do is in terms of my capacity. That's essentially what the, the point is. And so the purpose of the mufti is to figure out how to give ease to that person. But for the purpose person of higher faith, then you have higher expectations like justice, right? Like social change. So the goal then, if we were to draw this as a chronology, is there the point in which you would like, like draw the line? Yes. Uh, what does that mean? To, yeah, you know. Uh, no, I, I don't understand what the question means. Like, yes, we have to make like ease and not have the same like expectation for the spiritual uh, layperson. But when is the ease going too far? To to a point where you're just giving into like like secular ideals. Um, the measurable thing is if you is essentially uh, when you are uh, uh, giving up on acts of worship. That would be the measurable thing. Yeah. Right. So you're changing the hearts of the people. So that that drawing I did at the first day of class where everything on the right is affecting what's on the left. And those of you who are there for the five o'clock class, that's what we did today. It shifts so that the heart is now affecting everything in your life. And so so you have enough people, you, you put together enough people to you know, who develop that strength of heart, which means that Iman, they start making changes in the culture. And there'll be micro changes. And then it becomes a law. We can't see the screen, Professor. Oh, sorry. Thank you for that. So this drawing that I did in the first day of class Make this a little bit bigger. 
that your components, this is all straight from the Hadith of Jibreel. You have your body, you have your mind, you have your heart. You have your relations, you have society of the world. And to this is according to the questions that were being asked. But in circles, you have your heart at the center, and then your mind is a concentric circle outside, and then your body is outside of that, and your relationships, then your society, your world. Everything on the right affects everything to the left. The world dominates everything underneath. Not saying good or bad even. Dominant capitalist system, organized in nation states, so forth and so on, um, affects the society. For example, starting with our identity and our consciousness, your primary identity, then what is your national affiliation? Good. And then that becomes more of your identity officially than your religious affiliation. Good. And then that also affects your relationships, right, in terms of, you know, you flock to the people who are of your national uh, identity, for example, in America. It also, the world being a dominant capital system with, with uh, <clears throat> where business is the measurement of a society, then our relationships are all basically fundamentally influenced by, by business products, not social services. WhatsApp is a business product. Instagram is a business product. Facebook is a business product. The phone is a business product. The operating system is a business product. Zoom is a business product. So then that rewrites how our relationships work. And so for us old people, I was saying this in the five o'clock class, it's almost laughable the traumas that the 20-year-olds put on each other because of social media relationships. And, <clears throat> oh, I have unfriended this person on social media, right? Therefore, think of the consequences. Then that affects our bodies, starting with how we perceive what our bodies are to be, which affects our thinking, and then all this affects our heart. What you want to develop in yourself is at the heart, then your heart is then influencing your mind, influencing your body, influencing your relationships, and so forth and so on. And so bringing that to this formula, Chronologically, you have enough people that have developed some strength of heart. In this context, we're saying Iman, Iman Billah, Iman of Allah. But maybe my goal is I want everyone to start loving Pakistan, right? So we get enough Pakistani nationalists to influence the culture by bringing Bangra Shangra and everything else and all that stuff, right? And then that becomes part of the culture, right? And then we start shifting people to look at what India is doing to Pakistan and look at what Pakistan is bringing to the world. We have K2 and we have Mohenjo-Daro and then we have everything else, right? I mean, Zishan smiling. And so, and then eventually that leads to law. Law is not the same as legislation. Mango, oh, how could I forget mangoes? Yeah. And then, but the point is, this is more the chronology. So when the Quran is speaking in terms of legal terms, usually all we see is law as though that is religion, as though that is the culture, and so forth and so on. But this is where the society exists, and this is where it perpetuates itself. This is what 
I intentionally and unintentionally give to my child. My child is inheriting my whole being. The things that I like, the things that I dislike, mixed with what they're inheriting from their children that they're getting from their parents. Make sense? So when we internally ask the question, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making all this uh, uh, easy for me? We are asking that in relation to our heart. Keep going. And then if the, the, the heart uh, has ease, it affects the culture, which has an effect on the law. So we're saying Allah is giving ease to all six. Hmm. Make sense? If I don't if I don't believe in my heart, I'm not going to see it in anything else. If I don't believe it rationally in my mind, I'm not going to see it in, in, in anything else. Make sense? Yes. Yeah, inshallah. Okay, so we're speaking in general in the context of these rules that we have in the Quran, but this point over and over again that Allah wishes to make things easy on you. That is what Allah is seeking for us. Boom. But related to that, built into that, I'm saying that it doesn't mean, here's what the ayah says, bam, you implement it immediately uh, because it may actually be more damaging. It may literally do the opposite effect. Okay. And, oh, we got to stop here. I actually have to run. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Okay. So apologies for those who didn't come to class yesterday, but we will, inshallah, 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 have class all the way through next Wednesday, not next Thursday. But I think we're fine for Chicago, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, inshallah. Yeah. All righty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah ta'ala reward you all. Oh, by the way, uh, another also uh, uh, prayer also not only for uh, Malahat's wife's uh, recovery, but Sabrine's cousin, who who Palestinian came, landed in O'Hare. Uh, her flight itinerary was one month longer than her tourist visa. And so they gave her every single type of hell. Stripped her shirt, tore up her visa, uh, left her with minimal clothing, locked up in handcuffs, flew her back, sent her back. So she wasn't even allowed to, to, to enter. Uh, and for whatever reason, they didn't even give her any food. And that was America yesterday, O'Hare Airport. Yeah. And so pray for everyone else who was also suffering, inshallah. This, I'm saying, is might be out of our range to change things, but the principle is that these are our responsibility. Okay. I'm going to tell a word to you all, inshallah, but Allah is merciful too. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.